0: The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super
1: Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Hello, my name's Lionel Burney, and it's a belated happy birthday oh. to Daniel Freib. <laughs> Oh, Thank you, Lionel.
0: Moving swiftly on, where's the Buffalo.
1: Well, the Buffalo is still on holiday. Richard Moore taking a well-earned break after completing the Giro and the Tour. He'll be back in time for the Vuelta a España, which starts, uh, well, next Saturday, a week on Saturday. People will,
0: think, people will think we've had an almighty falling out. They'll think it's shades of Atomic Kitten and um, <laughs> you're Harry to... Katona's defection
1: goodness no we, we've certainly not fallen out with the buffalo He stampeded off on his holidays and uh, as i say uh, well-deserved holidays uh, just rolling back to your birthday daniel are you still eligible for the young podcasters category i don't know i don't think you are are you
0: oh, i'm not sure i'm not sure the white microphone. Um, uh, probably probably still very much under the median age of of
1: podcasters <laughs> certainly the baby of the cycling podcast did you get any cycling related gifts for your birthday and if not have you ever Mm. had any cycling related gifts
0: oh i'm sure i have had cycling related gifts in the past um mainly running related gifts in the last few years but no i didn't really didn't really get any gifts to be honest (laughs) apart from i got a lovely case of wine from my parents that they sent me to berlin Um, oh well that's that's which was nice
1: toast your birthday cycling related gifts I was thinking about you yesterday I didn't send you a message unfortunately because it sort of (laughs) slipped my mind to actually act upon thinking oh it's Daniel's birthday today but it did make me think back to my my favorite cycling related birthday gift which was a set of the oakley mumbo glasses do you remember those the m frame glasses that greg lamond pioneered at the late 80s i Before think it was my time i think 89 yeah. i know yeah, yeah. i yeah. always wanted i was off.
0: always desperate for a pair of brico stingers um as worn by mario cipollini but yeah i was never able to get my hands on a pair probably find them on ebay now i guess
1: indeed Uh, Well, shall we crack on with this week's episode of the Cycling Podcast? What are we going to be discussing? We'll talk about the recent racing, the men's time trial at the Olympic Games and the San Sebastian Classic. And we'll also cover some of the transfer news. We're expecting a bit more transfer news to break over the weekend. Certainly the August 1st deadline has been reached. That's the point at which teams and riders are allowed to um, break cover and announce their plans for the following season they're not allowed to officially do so before August the 1st but it was a reasonably quiet weekend um, well the big story I suppose was uh, Patrick Lefebvre's comments in his newspaper column in Het Newsblad the Belgian newspaper and I'm sure we will uh, cover that a little bit in that final part about transfers but before all that we'll just recap some of the news as I say the Olympic Games men's time trial was won by Slovenia's Primoz Roglic, very convincingly, a minute and one second ahead of Tom de Moulin, who, of course, is his Jumbo-Visma teammate. And the bronze medalist was a soon-to-be Jumbo-Visma teammate of the pair of them, Rohan Dennis of Australia. Uh, he edged out Stefan Kung of Switzerland for the bronze medal by just 0.4 of a second. Filippo Ganna was the fastest out of the blocks and at the first time-check, but he faded and finished fifth. Wout van Aert was sixth. We'll talk about the time trial and the gold medal for Primoz Roglic, not in ski jumping at the Winter Olympics, but in time trialling at the Summer Games. The San Sebastian Classic, as uh, World Tour Racing resumed, was won by Nielsen Paulus, the American rider with EF Education Nippo, who really played a blinder in the final uh, third of the race. They got both Paulus and Simon Carr into the final five-man break. Uh, Carr was dropped And then there was quite a dramatic run-in, which we'll discuss, but Nielsen Paulus, a big win for not just him, but for the team, EF Education Nippo. The women's race, held earlier on Saturday, was won by Annemiek van Vleuten, who bounced back from the relative disappointment of a silver medal in the Olympic road race to win the women's time trial in commanding style, and then fly back to Europe and uh, take the San Sebastian Classic, turning the final nine kilometres or so into another individual time trial. So quite a, an eventful week for Van Vleuten. Also,
0: by all accounts, a bit of a tactical masterclass by Movistar, which is something that you don't necessarily hear all that often.
1: It was, wasn't it? Yeah, um, they, they did an awful lot of work and uh, Van Vleuten. Attacked with nine kilometres to go, and she caught and passed Audrey Cordon Rago of Trek Segafredo. Another impressive win by Van Vleuten. Some racing below world tour level. Something that caught my eye was Australia's Michael Storer winning the Tour de Lain in France. Storer won the final stage of the three-day race, which gave him the overall. And that, much to my surprise, I know they've not been having a great season, Team DSM, but that was just their second and third race victories of the 2021 season, a real contrast to last year where they, well, we were all saying, weren't we, they punched so far above their weight, but this year has not been a good season for them at all, but just a a little glimmer of something from Stora.
0: And Lionel, yeah, that's been coming from Michael Storr for a few years. He's a guy who turned pro very young. I remember, um, three or four years ago at the Tour de Yorkshire and um, finishing second on the stage behind Magnus Court. Uh, Nielsen uh, uh, an uphill finish and very very talented big engine was really good last year at the Vuelta a España um, and has, has tended to get his opportunities in the Vuelta rather than well I think he's only ridden the Vuelta as far as Grand Tours of, are concerned so far but um, he's a guy with a massive engine and we will probably see more from him because although he's been a pro for I
1: think this is his fourth year he's still only 24. Another one-day race in Spain, the Circuito de Ghecho, was won by the European champion Giacomo Nizzolo. He won uh, the Clásica de Almeria at the start of the season, didn't he? So sort of racking up one-day Spanish wins for Cubeca next hash. And uh, back to the Olympic Games, because the track is now underway. I know, Daniel, you probably got up early to watch the track cycling from Japan. Afraid not.
0: Afraid not. Oh, no, I, no, I did actually. I did actually <laughs> catch a few minutes of it. Um, later today but anyway we don't need to talk about my um, ambivalence towards track cycling
1: well the first medal the first gold medal on the track has gone to China in the women's team sprint very narrowly beating Germany Uh, the men's team pursuit qualifying was pretty dramatic Uh, the Italians with Filippo Ganna in the lineup broke the Olympic record in their qualifying round only for the Danes to then beat it The real drama was uh, the Australian run, though. Uh, Alex Porter's handlebars snapped from under him. The stem snapped and the handlebars uh, collapsed and he went down, landed on his face, some nasty-looking track rash, I guess you'd call it, taking the skin off his nose and his arms and and knees. The Australians were uh, allowed to rerun, uh, but could finish only fifth. They'll still have a shot at the bronze medal because of how the team pursuit goes, but they couldn't uh, nudge Great Britain out of fourth place in qualifying. Uh, The women, the Great Britain women, qualified second behind a very impressive German outfit who broke the world record. So uh, those finals will play out. Well, there's some next rounds and then the finals over the next couple of days, but the track is underway. Got to mention the BMX as as well, Daniel. You look sceptical.
0: No, I was just going to add um, just before we get to the BMX and rally burners and um, I don't know what, what BMX did you have. Um, anyway, um, just on the track, you mentioned the Italians going well and team pursuit. The women also went well. A um, bit of a success story of the last few years, the reemergence of Italian track uh, racing. Um, a lot of good work has been done there by Marco Villa, who was a, uh, he was a big six-day rider, track rider back in well, sort of 10, 15 years ago. Um, but Line. I don't know if you noticed this or um, read about this, but it looks so like Davide Cassani is going to lose his job as the Italian national team selector. Um, he'll probably do the world championships in September, but um, there's a new president of the Italian Cycling Federation and he doesn't appear to like the cut of Cassani's jib. And um, I think he's going to get his marching orders. Cassani's is the hot tip everyone's hot tip to take over from Mauro Vegni as the new Giro d'Italia director if not next year then the year after Um, most people think that Vegni will retire and Cassani is the man most likely to succeed him
1: interesting yeah i should just say on the track before we move on uh, the latest episode of service course features tom wally's conversation with justin mccurry about kieran racing the great japanese kieran racing obviously there'll be some kieran racing in the olympics very different the olympic discipline to the traditional uh, japanese kieran racing Uh, but if you want to learn a lot about that from someone who really knows the culture of japan inside out justin mccurry then check out service course and if you watching the track cycling this morning we're speaking on uh, monday lunchtime you'll have seen perhaps for the first time the new great britain track bike which has been developed It's a collaboration between Hope Technology and Lotus Engineering, and if you go back to an episode of Service Course from January 2020, there's an episode called Gold Medal Machine, which features Lizzie Banks speaking to Tony Purnell, the Head of Development of British Cycling, about this striking design. It's got much wider forks and rear stays, um, the rear stays look almost like they should have some panniers attached. But all of this is uh, to aid the airflow around the rider. And Purnell thinks that in future road bike design will uh, mimic this. Um, you know, it may be the next, the next move for road bikes. But if you're as old as I am and remember the 1992 Olympics, you'll remember that Lotus was one of the companies behind the, at the time, revolutionary bike that Chris Boardman rode to gold medal performance in the individual pursuit so it's almost like it's all come back round full circle for the british cycling uh bike design and development but i was going to mention bmx racing daniel you were i mean i'm i'm anticipating the jokes here but actually i was at the vanguard of bmxing i remember the first bmx boom in the early 1980s watching bmx beat on itv uh there was bmx racing on channel 4 uh, Andy was the big star in, uh, in, certainly in freestyle BMXing, that is admittedly uh, the, the sort of extent of my memory on that subject, but I do remember craving a rally burner with mag wheels and, and not getting one for my birthday, I got a rally striker instead and if you are a child of the 80s you'll know that that, that was a, a bit of a letdown. Um, but there we are. I'm still still happy enough with my rally oh, striker. Good cool, cool, um, But the BMX racing, yeah. Bethany Shriver of Great Britain won gold in the women's race, and Kai White took a silver in the men's race. Big story here in the UK because um, a few years back, Shriver was uh, basically crowdfunding to keep her BMX career on track. She raised fifty thousand pounds to hire a coach and 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 uh, get the 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 coaching and competition that she needed and she was eventually uh, offered a place back on the Great Britain uh, squad and the net result of all of that is a gold medal, a real good news story for, uh, well, for Beth Shriver and also, you know, never give up, never give up if you think you're good enough and the National Federation doesn't for whatever reason um, you know, you can find a way especially with the internet. It
0: feels like you're you're personally addressing this this message to me (laughs) as though I should fish out the rally burner from the back of my parents garage and maybe give it a second go.
1: Naturally you got a rally burner, didn't you? Yeah, of course he did. I did of course he did. did then in the freestyle, Charlotte Worthington won gold. Uh, absolutely jaw-dropping stuff. I'm not going to pretend to know um, much about freestyle BMXing, but it was uh, it was it was gripping stuff and uh, I think anything that attracts young people to two wheels is good for me and it's certainly something that I think uh, Know, will would attract young people. You know, BMXing, take the BMX to the local skate park, keeps kids off the road as well. A good entryway into cycling, so all good for me. Um, but yeah, I need to get on YouTube and find some old episodes of BMX Beat, I think, this afternoon. Some transfer news. Tade Pogachar signed with UAE Team Emirates, uh, extended his contract to the end of 2027. So is this the longest contract in pro cycling? Uh, Is it the biggest? We'll talk about that in the third part. Peter Sagan has also confirmed that he's leaving Bora-Hansgrohe after five years, rumoured to be going to Total Energies. Uh, We'll wrap up some of the other transfer news in the final part. Still guessing on fueling?
0: Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success.
1: Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the cycling podcast. We've been learning a lot about Super Sapiens and the continuous glucose monitoring system. Basically a patch sticks onto your arm and gives a continuous glucose reading to an app on your phone. And uh, this data can help you fuel more effectively for training and for competition. If it sounds like the sort of thing that might be of interest to you and you'd like to win a three-month supply of the patches and access to the app, go to thecyclingpodcast.com to enter, send us an audio file, no more than 60 seconds with a pitch, why you should win the competition. Super Sapiens will be uh, judging the most worthy entrants and deciding who the winners are and uh, we'll be undertaking that process a little bit later on this summer. If you want to find out more about Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. Here is one of the entries from Nicola Hogan. Hi, Cycling Podcast. It's Nicola Hogan, friend of the podcast in Bathgate, Scotland.
0: I'm a keen club cyclist and a mum of two, currently breastfeeding my five-month-old daughter. Super Sapiens glucose monitoring would help take the guesswork out of fueling for my training and racing at club and local level. With breastfeeding, energy requirements are much higher than they would otherwise be. Even after starting solid foods, babies up to nine months old get the majority of their nutrition from milk and beyond this age it's still a significant amount. Interestingly, milk production rates can fluctuate to meet the baby's changing demands during a growth spurt. Research into breastfeeding physiology in both sports and health science is limited and I'd potentially be able to share my data and any interesting observations with other breastfeeding athletes.
1: So Primoz Roglic, Daniel, the Olympic time trial champion. It was only when I was watching the race that I realised that the defending champion was Fabian Cancellara. That had slipped my mind. I know it's five years since Rio, but that does feel like uh, an awful lot has happened in five years. Fabian Cancellara feels like he's been retired for absolutely ages. And of course, he has been retired for a number of years now. Uh, Tom de Moulin, of course, a silver medalist that day in Rio and a silver medalist again after his, uh, I guess, sabbatical, you would call it, at the start of the season. But Roglic was, well, he was a minute and one second quicker than his uh, trade teammate, de Moulin. It was an impressive performance, wasn't it? Never really in doubt at the time checks, was it?
0: No, it was a surprise, I think, to most people. We perhaps should have seen it coming because the course, by most accounts, was absolutely perfect for Roglic. quite a lot of climbing. I think there were 900 metres of climbing over the, um, was it 44 kilometres? and um yeah if you could have designed a course for rog it would have been something resembling the one in tokyo um it's interesting isn't it with rog i mean he started life as a as a professional cyclist and the when he had his first successes. He was sort of dismissed by most people as this emotionless cyborg who really had no charisma. And I think Keep only a couple of years ago described him as having the charisma of a fridge. Um, but he's become this this sort of king of hearts, hasn't he? This sort of champion of pathos. Um, and the, he's certainly the king of bounce back ability. I'm sure everyone loves that word. Um, but he seems to sort of systematically, or oh, he, he's started to systematically follow great hardship or failure or disappointment with great triumph that was the case last year when he won Liege Baston Liege after that crushing disappointment at the Tour and then went on to win the Vuelta and the same this year and and he's recruited an awful lot of sympathizers and supporters and because of that you know that that sort of cadence of disappointment followed by great triumph and um and then, you know, we saw, I think most people would have seen the, the video clips, the scenes of him um, returning to, I guess, was he going back to Ljubljana? And the, the reception there for Roglic. And um, he's certainly been embraced as a real talisman, a real hero by the Slovenian people. And we talked last week, didn't we, Lionel, a couple of weeks ago about how... The kind of dimensions of the, or that the scale of the support and the interest and the attention in Slovenia is something that m- seems to be working in favour of Tadej Pogacar. It's not too invasive, it's not too intense, and we also mentioned the fact that Roglic seems to be maybe for the reasons I just mentioned the sort of emotional um, sort of subtext to, to his narrative and his career. He seems to be the guy who is more of the the. the the national hero more of the the national treasure Um, I don't know maybe that's just a a, a subjective a misguided impression from afar but that's what it looks like to me
1: yeah and I mean many of his first breakthrough results were time trial wins weren't they Uh, I'm thinking particularly of the Giro in 2016 when he won the Chianti time trial in the rain I think his ride was slightly less affected by the rain than, than some of the others but I can remember on that day Um, Just because we're always sort of looking for context to these things. Uh, Fabian Cancellara finished fourth on that stage. And and I suppose that was, uh, you know, that was the the thing that made us kind of realise that this was a a really impressive performance by Roglic. even before and, that, yeah, as you say, he's there was also, I think,
0: Lionel. Even before that, there was a story about the Volta a Algarve, a Algarve in 2016, so before the Giro, when Roglic did well in the time trial. And Garrett Thomas didn't know who he was and went along to the Jumbo Visma bus to, to, to meet him for himself and, and you know, find out exactly who he was this Slovenian who had ridden
1: so well. Yeah, he'd ridden well in a road stage, I think, uh, the day before, and uh, yeah, Thomas took the opportunity, didn't he, to to go and check him out. I mean, um, yeah, the the Giro obviously was was the, the big breakthrough result for Roglic, and obviously since then he's um, become a, a Grand Tour winner and contender. Um, but the the time trial, yeah, it was a it was a, a performance that you know perhaps not expected, but the margin of victory, I suppose, was what. Uh, caught me by surprise. I mean, a minute to Tom De Mulan, and again, very difficult to put that into some kind of context because, of course, De Mulan has missed so much racing um, this season. We've not seen very much of him since he's uh, resumed his racing. But I mean, a minute and four to Rowan Dennis. I mean, that says that says enough, doesn't it? And and the fact that all three of them will be at Jumbo Visma next year. Perhaps uh, I don't want to sort of uh, stray into the the transfer talk, but. Um, a, a, a collection of excellent time trial very strong riders um, Jumbo-Visma are, are doing some smart recruiting it seems although you know Dennis uh, had some significant moments at Team Ineos but on the move again and
0: on the podium, Lionel, we had three different sort of shades of comeback story, didn't we? With um, Roglic and then Dumoulin, that was a sort of heartrending story. Um, him coming back, um, obviously a few months ago, we didn't know whether he wanted to be a professional cyclist anymore, and he did a bit of soul searching, came back, and decided to sort of come back on different terms. I don't know exactly what that's going to mean for his future, certainly in terms of Grand Tours, but um, he wants to be a professional cyclist. And um, and then the other one, Rowan Dennis, who's a guy who has been relatively open about some of the struggles that he's had. Um, at Bahrain, merida we all remember him um, sort of walking out of the Tour de France before a time trial, wasn't it? He was, um, he was upset with... The, his equipment that day and left the Tour de France, left Barre Merida In fact, with that or on that day, and signed for Ineos Grenadiers, and and has done very well there. And in fact, was absolutely vital for them winning the Giro d'Italia last year. Well, there was a huge, a huge uh, contribution from Rowan Dennis um, in that. So you know, in their different ways, there were three stories of of riders coming back from some adversity and summoning all of their resolve and and bounce-back
1: ability. Bounce-back ability, indeed. What about Filippo Ganna, the Italian rider, who, as I said, was uh, quick out of the blocks but faded to finish fifth, and, of course, is now racing on the track. I mean, at the Giro, unbeatable in time trials, and I think his run of time trial victories, consecutive time trial victories, stretch back, Uh, you know, a season and a half. He was perhaps a surprising fourth in the Italian national championships uh, just before the Tour de France, but I guess would have been in a a sort of phase where he's building up to the Olympic Games. But did it surprise you that, um, first of all, he did both the road time trial and is in the Italian track squad? I mean, these days, the conventional wisdom is that Uh, it's it's not very easy at all to spread yourself across such diverse disciplines and you know get you know get medals in in two such diverse disciplines i wonder if we'd seen Filippo gana at his absolute best he would have been a contender for the top spot or certainly for a medal i mean he was a contender for a medal i mean it's only seconds um really in the grand scheme of things but uh Not quite the Philippa Ganna I was expecting to see.
0: Yeah, I I don't think the course really suited him. I think the course was more hilly hilly than people maybe realised. The big rulers, I mean, although I think they performed really well. I think Stefan Kung, for example, said that um, his ride was almost perfect, but he finished just outside the medal positions. I just don't think that that kind of, well... uh, as rolling a course as it was suited them. I suppose we'll have to wait until the end of the team pursuit to really judge Ganner's preparation and what he got wrong and what he got right. But I think, generally speaking, you know, you, you mentioned Cancellara winning in 2016, and that to me was a period when the the whole sort of landscape or the whole um, kind of panorama of international time trialling was not as competitive as it is now. Um, it, it always felt as though, you know, Tony Martin had a bit of a free hit for a few years and then and well, bookending that either side of that was a, a, a spell when Cancellara was winning most of the time trials. And then Rowan Dennis came along, but now... It feels as though we've got seven or eight guys who are really pushing the envelope, performing at the absolute highest level and, and motivating each other, competing with each other. I mean, even someone like Remy Cavagna, um, he he was well off the pace in Tokyo. I think he finished 17th. But he's someone who, you know who's won his first World Tour time trial this year and he's going to be very much in the mix over the coming years. And it's it's just going to be really interesting. And you can... I mean, this is maybe a bit of an exception because Roglic won by so much, but generally speaking, you can really see how fine the margins are and how it can come down to things like equipment and, you know, as, as we said, whether the course suits one particular rider over another. Shoot, shoot, uh, à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please.
1: That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind us to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Babbel, which is an app that is an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language because it combines tech with learning with an element of gameplay. Because each of the 15-minute lessons do feel almost like a computer game. Um, You become competitive with yourself because you want to get through the lesson, making as few mistakes as possible and then move on to the next level and make as few mistakes as possible there. And the way that the app is designed, you're always reinforcing what you already know and stretching the boundaries and, and learning new things because the lessons have been created by language experts Real people, so the phrases that you're learning are actually things that you can imagine yourself needing to say uh, when you are, are abroad rather than sort of computer generated phrases that you think, well, th- this is no use to me at all. So, you're learning language that is going to be very useful. Uh, there are 14 different languages to choose from, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. And if you're doing Spanish or French, there's also a podcast, so you can immerse yourself in the language uh, and then come back to the lessons um, and listen to the podcast when you're doing something else, cooking or exercising or whatever. Uh, I've been, over the past year or so, been doing a bit of Italian, uh, where my level is quite low. I'm, I'm trying to sort of just pick up some basics Uh, but recently I've been doing the French classes because I did a French A-level but never really progressed beyond that unfortunately just sort of hit a bit of a wall and I've realized over the years that I've just got some bad habits that I need to undo I need to reinforce the foundations of of what I know and fill in some of the cracks and Babbel's been helping me to do that because it very quickly works out what level you're at and tailors the lessons for your level and if you're you know getting too many wrong then it just makes it a bit easier and you reinforce enforce some of the things and then you know continue your progress when you're ready to do so so i've been finding it really enjoyable just to uh, pick up the phone do a 15 minute lesson here or there and uh and and move on you can also do it on a computer Uh, If you 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 can switch between the app and uh, a computer and uh, your progress will be synced up across all your devices. So if that sounds like something you'd like to do, you can start your language learning journey today with Babbel. And Babbel is offering our listeners six months free if you purchase a six month subscription by using the promo code cycling. So go to uk.babbel.com forward slash play and use the promo code cycling to get an extra six months free on top of a six month subscription that's uk.babbel.com forward slash play with the promo code cycling and we'll put that information in the show notes so just a few days after the olympic time trial the world tour resumed with the san sebastian classic in the basque country traditionally this is held one week after the tour de france not possible of course this year because of the olympics so it gets shunted back a bit during olympic years Uh, we did see a large handful of riders who had been racing in Japan, come back to Europe to uh, ride the San Sebastian Classic. But it was Nielsen Paulus who won the race. A very impressive victory for Paulus. And as I said, for EF Education Nippo, who got numbers into that final break. Simon Carr had been out in front uh, after... Well, it looked like he was going away with Mikhail Lander at one point, but uh, Lander drifted backwards, Carr pressed on... And then it was the five-man group of Carr and Paulis, Matej Mohoric, Mikel Honore and Lorenzo Rota, who fought it out over the final climb and run-in. There was a crash on a fast downhill right-hand bend with 4.8 kilometres to go. Mohoric had been stretching things out. Uh, on the, the the sort of the false flat section after the climb and then on the downhill and he misjudged a corner. It was raining most of the day so the roads were wet and tricky. He had to take his foot out and went very wide. There was quite a high pavement it looked like and then, and then a wall. Uh, Honoré hit that wall and went down. Rota also went down but Paulus got round the corner best of the lot and he did say that he had been anticipating that bend he thought that some of the other riders in the group were perhaps concentrating more on the race than on the course ahead he said he could see the map on his garmin and uh, he knew what was coming up uh, anyway at the finish Paulus had the sprint to hold off mohoric and honore a really impressive victory uh, not just for Paulus but for the team what did you make of the race daniel
0: just on Mohoric, uh, Lionel, I-, I was quite surprised that he wasn't riding the Olympic road race. And he, uh, He'd apparently opted out early in the season because he anticipated being tired um, because he knew the Giro. And the Tour were both on his programme. He crashed out of the Giro, of course, and then had a, an, an incredible Tour de France, won two stages. And I was quite surprised to see him racing. I just wonder how much he's kicking himself, spe- especially... Um, with the way the Olympic road race went with if you imagine Pogacar having Mohoric there as well in that in that final group that Carapaz and McNulty escaped from um yeah he might be ruined that slightly but it was um yeah it was an interesting race a bit of a, a tactical um another well I said a tactical masterclass by um Movistar the women's team but it was by EF as well in the men's race but You know, EF, I know their manager, Jonathan Vortis, has sort of peddled this line for a few years now about how this team has overperformed on relatively meagre resources and they've done it through a combination of good talent identification, good scouting, good R&D, and then also just good decisions in the transfer market, um, picking up guys who have maybe been underestimated or not um, found the right environment in previous teams i i've I've felt for a while that you know people haven't really necessarily given this as i say this this sort of brand that Jonathan Vortis would like um, to, 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 to have for the team they, they haven't necessarily subscribed to that people haven't acknowledged necessarily how well the team has done, probably because they you know they don 't win thirty races a year they don't even win twenty um, but they have consistently Managed to notch up four or five really good, really impressive World Tour wins um, every year, and this was just another another one of those you know big race wins um, that came from a, a, I suppose a bit of an unexpected source and a guy that um, is very much very much part of that you know, strategy that the team has had of, of, of sort of picking up guys who have been um, underestimated or. Um, not used to their best effect um, elsewhere. I mean, if Nielsen Paulus had stayed at Jumbo-Visma, what would he be doing now? Um, he'd probably have, have slotted in quite nicely to the Roglic sort of mountain train or the, the Tour de France mountain tra- train. Instead, he went to EF and um, he gets lots of opportunities. I mean, this year, his Tour de France wasn't quite as impressive as last year. Um, last year, he was very aggressive, very impressive in mountain stages. He was in a lot of breaks, but even... Um this time in twenty twenty one, you know, he was trying to get into breaks, he was trying his luck, and that's really the that's the sort of spirit of the team generally, isn't it? I know they had Uran for the um, general classification and he he eventually fell out of contention in the last week, but um they, they rarely they rarely tether the whole team and the whole of its strategy to one rider um generally there are four or five guys in every big race who have a decent amount of freedom and it, in addition to that with the you know the good preparation the very sort of serious and solid preparation done by the guys like charlie wigelius Andreas clear tom southam and garate the other director sportive. It's it's turning into quite a successful, um, a a, a sort of quiet achiever of the world tour, Um, uh, a a quietly very successful operation.
1: Yeah, you mentioned uh, Juan Margalate, of course, from the Basque country, from Irún, just down the road, really. And uh, Paulus did uh, give quite a lot of credit to... uh, uh, galate for you know, putting together the plan and obviously a, a a race victory that meant a lot to him um i mean the opposition uh, no um no remco even the defending champion who was uh well he won i mean it's two years ago since the last edition of the race of course because it was cancelled last year and, and wasn't rescheduled um i mean that Victory by Evonipur last uh, two years ago was his, you know, the 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 the, the next step in the kind of uh, um, you know the, the the green light going on to draw everybody's attention to him. Um, De Kernin quick Quicksteps' hopes rested with uh, Julian Alaphilippe. Um, they didn't really get their act together uh, in quite enough in time to, to pull back the break. Um, Trek Segafredo also, you know, they've had some success in this race before Balcombe is, is a past winner. They perhaps left it a little bit too late. Gianni Moscon was up there as well for Ineos Grenadiers, but it was a day when um, the, the breakaway, uh, you know, upset the apple cart and, uh, and the, the five of them stayed clear Uh, by quite a margin really over a minute there was never really you know the gap was coming down over the final climb but uh, there wasn't perhaps enough of a chase or enough action behind and the gap was just that little bit too big just a word for Mikkel Honore, the Danish rider who went down in that crash with just under five kilometres to go, because he did get back on in the finishing straight and went very close in the sprint, taking third. But it was, uh, well, it was close. He pushed them pretty hard, Paulus and Mohoric, and uh, a, an impressive recovery from him. Uh, one team that had a, a bit of a shocker was Bora Hansgrohe. Three of their riders all came down in the same crash on a, another tricky Fast right-hand bend. Uh, that was Fabro, Aliotti, and uh, Wilco Kelderman. They all went down together. Um, but yeah, it was a day when the the breakaway uh, triumphed. And uh, I mean, we do see that in the San Sebastian Classic, don't we? The, the it is a race that does favour um, getting up the road. Difficult roads to chase on uh, the hills, particularly the final climb. You know, steep, difficult terrain to chase. Uh, and close down a gap but yeah absolutely terrific victory for ef education nepo and uh well i'm not really sure what it what it tells us about uh, you know the upcoming uh, the upcoming races because of course um the next big one day race i suppose will be the world championships and between now and then there's the Uh, there's the Vuelta a España in between so it's a it's almost a sort of standalone race isn't it San Sebastian as I say normally it's a sort of Tour de France um, revenge match you see riders who've come out of the Tour looking very strong Uh, this time a slightly different um slightly different makeup to the field, and I think that was reflected in the, the style of racing and the fact that the brake got away and stayed away.
0: Yeah it's a difficult race to read, difficult course to read in the sense that it's not the length of a of a monument at two hundred and twenty something kilometres. And under four thousand meters of climbing, I think just under four thousand metres of climbing, which is less than Liège, less than Lombardy, and they're also quite long valley roads in between the climbs. So it's not really necessarily necessarily uh, like any other big one day race on the calendar but on the other hand you do get riders who consistently perform that year after year, I mean Balca Molleman's got an incredible record in San Sebastian but it's never a race that I'm particularly confident, Uh, I mean you hate speculation anyway Lionel but I certainly don't like speculation about San Sebastian
1: The cycling podcast is supported by Science in Sport Science in Sport fueled by Science Thank you very much to Science in Sport. As I said last week, the competition prizes will be on their way out to the winners very shortly. I'm I'm awaiting a delivery any moment now from Science in Sport. And as soon as the goodies arrive, I will send out the prizes to the four winners from the Tour de France Super Sunday competition. If you would like to get 25% off all of Science in Sport's products, go to scienceinsport.com and use the code SISCP25. And particularly look out for the new Beta Fuel range. We'll be talking about that a bit more in future episodes. But the Beta Fuel range is the big product launch for Science in Sport this year. Lots of information on the website about how it can help your fueling Daniel just to clarify something I said about one day races between now and the world championships which of course will be in Belgium at the end of September there is the the Euro-Eyes classics which is predominantly for sprinters and the Bretagne classic uh, for somebody of my generation remember that as the Grand Prix Plouet uh, both those races overlap with the Vuelta um, but not quite the same sort of classic as the San Sebastian classic which is uh, as you say, um, you know, long, quite a bit of climbing, um, more of a, a of a classic classic without being a monument. I mean, we're getting into subsections and definitions here that get everyone into all sorts of trouble. What's a classic? What's a monument? Uh, well, pretty clearly defined. The five monuments. Everything else is a classic, except if it's a semi classic, clear as mud. There we are. That's how cycling works. Um, now the transfer market was supposed to burst into life. Uh, on August the 1st, Daniel, with a whole rash of uh, transfers being announced. But it's been a quiet opening to the window. It's not so much been thrown over, open as sort of tentatively sort of put on the latch um, just to let a little bit of transfer air in. But the news of Tadej Pogacar uh, extending his contract to 2027, uh, I mean, this is pretty much unprecedented, isn't it? I mean, we we sort of were quite surprised at the length of contract that Remco Evnipol signed with De Koenig Quickstep. But, um, you know, it's not so long ago that uh, the business model of cycling was in such a fragile state that um, teams couldn't, you know, offer riders long contracts. And even three year contracts were were pretty much unheard of
0: for for a long time. Two
1: years was really, uh, you know, the, the rule. And then there were some exceptions, but, This is a really long contract and obviously a commitment from uh, the people behind the team, uh, the UAE and uh, Emirates. And Pogacar signed up for the foreseeable future. And, well, what does this tell us about where the World Tour is at the moment? Because it does feel like, again, there's a sort of concentration of talent uh, amongst a small handful of teams and um, long contracts being offered to um, riders who perhaps offer a, a, a good or in Pogacar's ch- case a very good chance of success at the Tour de France over the coming years
0: yeah Lionel I mean it's it's been a really striking development in the last few years the advent of these very long contracts and it's not isolated to one team or Pogacar um we should say that Pogacar had already Renewed his contract in March, and that contract was supposed to run to the end of 2026. And then, having won the Tour de France, um, I presume you know it's not just an, a further year, an extension, they've probably torn up um, that previous deal and given him a a new one on different terms, more money. I mean, I shudder to think how much um, it will be. I, I would guess that it's the the most lucrative contract ever signed by a professional cyclist, um, given the length and going rate, Lionel. I mean, do you, would you like to hazard a guess? Uh, it's going to be upward of five million euros a year. I think it would have to be. And just, well, just you said, Lionel, about... Um, the importance now that Tour de France obviously has and teams Sort of diverting, concentrating a lot of resources on that. But it just reflects as well, if you look around at the, well, the three top teams, the three super teams, really, and you look at how they're starting to build these very long term plans, all of them are really to do with stage racing. Um, there are these three, four, five, six year contracts are all being given to guys who we think are going to thrive in stage races rather than the classics. The classics riders are still getting those two um, at most three-year contracts. But in terms of UAE, I mean, they've got POG now um, tied down to 2027. Um, We think Zhao Almeida is going to sign there, and that will be announced in the next couple of days or the next few days. And that will be a long-term contract. We mentioned Juan Ayuso, the big Spanish phenom. He's under contract with UAE until the end of 2025. Mark Hershey, the end of 2023, um, and they've got two shorter ones, well, Brandon McNulty, end of 2022, I wouldn't be shocked at all if that was renewed um, soon, and Mikael Bjerg, the Danish domestique, who again is very much seen as part of the Pogacar Um, attack team for the uh, crack team for the Tour de France he's under contract till 2022 the other one I forgot was Finn Fisher Black who's the New Zealander who's been lured away from Jumbo Visma Um, 19 year old won the Istrian Spring Trophy earlier this year but he's seen as a GC prospect he's under contract till 2024 so you know as we said long-term planning is something we've not we've not necessarily seen much of in professional cycling but it's definitely starting to happen Um, and then you look around well last week there was another big announcement wasn't there Jumbo Visma Jonas Vingegaard second in the Tour de France now being given a contract till the end of 2024 Jumbo Visma They've got Sepp Kuss under contract till the end of 2024, Tobias Foss, the Norwegian who was um, in the top 10 of the Giro d'Italia earlier this year, 2023, Roglic, 2023 and Wout van Aert at the end of 2024. So there, those teams' plans are pretty much set in stone for the foreseeable future. Um, and then Ineos as well, just finally of these big three teams, Bernal is tied down there end of 2023 Sivakov 2023 Teo Gegenhart 2023 Pitcock 2023 and they've got the, a very promising young Spanish rider as well Carlos Rodriguez who is also end of 2023 and that's without even mentioning Danny Martinez Adam Yates And Carapaz as well. I'm actually expecting a call today, Lionel, from Richard Carapaz's agent, because I'm curious to know whether um, discussions have started about a renewal of his contract. Because at at present, his contract should expire at the end of 2022. But it wouldn't shock me at all if Ineos is starting to think about maybe giving him another year or two.
1: With that call, do you also place an order for some croissants or other (laughs) pastries? Big bag of flour arrives. Possibly. The pastry chef. Possibly. Um, Possibly. Yeah it's interesting isn't it UAE team Emirates I mean uh, you know a huge backer obviously it has uh, it has finances at its disposal uh, took over the Lamprey team which you know towards the end of the of, of Lamprey's time in the sport they were Lamprey Marida at, at the end I mean it, Lamprey's been involved going back to the early 90s I mean with with a different setup um but this the the current Lampre team that has evolved into UAE Team Emirates. I mean, by the end, it was a bit of a mess, wasn't it? I mean, it was sort of directionless. It didn't really, um, you know, I suppose they had uh, a couple of big Italian riders, Diego Ulissi and Valerio Conti, who they were pinning their hopes on. But but the rest was, uh, it didn't look like there was an awful lot of a plan there. And I suppose the first couple of years of UAE Team Emirates, 2017 and 2018, that uh, you know the first year they're obviously dealing with that the legacy of what they've inherited you know as you, we said at the start there if riders are on the majority of riders have two year contracts you, you, they would have been lumbered with with uh people they perhaps wouldn't have wanted for a year uh, obviously there's restrictions on how many riders they could have so it's taken a few years to kind of evolve the team and there's that sort of interim period signing uh Alexander Christophe, Dan Martin, experienced riders to um, sort of bridge to the next level. And of course, the, the discovery of uh, Tade Pogacar has completely revolutionised the entire team, hasn't it? And now they have someone that they can build everything else around, knowing that that um, well, nothing's a, a certainty in cycling or in sport, but it's a pretty safe bet, isn't it, when somebody's won the Tour de France two years running um, you know, uh, you know, illness, injury, and what have you, um, is always just around the corner when it comes to cycling. But uh, there does seem to be a, a strategy to put in place the sort of team that uh, will be able to support him year after year at the Tour de France. And of course, everybody else is trying to build a team that can challenge uh, the best rider. And so we are seeing this sort of concentration in, as you say, three teams. And I suppose to. The fourth team that's not quite as engaged in the the, the Grand Tour overall battles is De Quickstep, and they of course have Remco Evenepoel on a long contract. And well, we were anticipating seeing a bit more from him at the Giro d'Italia, but just because that was a, a disappointment doesn't mean that he's suddenly you know out of the picture as far as uh, as Grand Tours go. Um, but I mean, it, it does seem like everybody else is, is sort of operating with um, far fewer resources these big three or four teams are able to sign riders and uh, put together strong rosters and then you look at some of the other team rosters and they're they're really only you know one or two riders that that you can say are are on the same level there is that concentration of talent in in these um, handful of teams The, the the talent goes where the money is i guess
0: yeah and I mean you've got one or two teams sort of on the fring- on the fringes of that big 3 I think Bora Hansgrohe seem to have decent sort of financial security and they've got some long term contracts as well they've got Schakman till end of 2024 Buchmann till end of 24 they've also signed um the the other Belgian phenom um Cian I'm, I'm sure the pronunciation has been completely butchered by me there but um De U- Brux is it um uh, the who is very much followed in the kind of tyre tracks of Remco Vainapol dominated junior racing and he is joining them next year um, and he's under contract till the end of 2024 but they've, they have also seem to be concentrating very much on um, stage racing because they've got Kelderman already there, we think Jai Hindley's going to join, uh, Leonard Kemner is there, um, Aliotti, the very promising young Italian, Fabro, they're all on decent uh, long term deals so um, you know, there are going to be some disappointed parties. There are going to be some disappointed individuals, individual riders amongst those that we mentioned as well, because, you know, we, we already asked ourselves at the start of the season how Ineos were going to juggle all of their different resources and different, well, potential stars. I mean, in a few weeks, they've got a Vuelta Espana where we've got Bernal down on the shortlist, Sivakov, um, there's a possibility of Carapaz still riding that, Adam Yates, it's going to be his only Grand Tour of the season. And Danny Martinez as well, but you you have to think that going forward, a lot of these riders we've mentioned, they're not going to be happy with just one grand tour a season. And certainly if it's not the Tour de France, you know, I don't think Adam Yates will only want to be um protected at one grand tour next year um he'll probably want two if he's not doing the tour tour de France and that might be the story for a lot of these teams and and I think we will see guys who don't go to the end of their contracts and we will see deals possibly brokered where um, riders are released early of course Gianni Savio pioneered this um this sort of ad hoc transfer system in cycling he he was one of the first a few years ago to start signing riders to very long-term contracts, Egan Bernal being probably the most notable example. And Ineos bought Bernal, didn't they? Um, well before, I think, halfway into a four-year contract or a five-year contract.
1: Yeah, transfer fees are not an official thing, are they, in cycling? We don't see it in the same way that we do it in football, European soccer. Um, but I think the, the market is evolving and changing and, and the longer contracts will... Well, some will work out and some won't, as you say. I mean, there'll be... Some riders that it makes perfect sense to tie down for four or five years now, but if things go uh, in the wrong direction for them, teams may well be uh, sitting there thinking, "Well, we've got we've got a rider who's swallowing up an awful lot of budget that we're committed to paying to the end of the contract. How can we move this rider on?" I mean, it's it's reasonably common now in football, soccer, uh, for American listeners that. uh, if a team uh, wants to move a player on, they may well agree with the purchasing club that they'll cover some of the wages, and I think you know there'll be all sorts of deals and side deals probably going on at the moment. I suspect, but um, you're right; it's a it's a tricky one for the riders as well, isn't it? Because um, being in a team with a lot of Similar types of riders, you know, creating these these mountain trains as as Jumbo-Visma have done and as uh, UAE are attempting to do. As you say, there's only there's only three Grand Tours a year. The Tour de France is the most important of them, and for the riders, it's a toss up of whether they want to be uh, a, a, a contributory cog to one of these sort of super teams or have the all out leadership responsibility in a smaller team, which may also not have the supporting resources uh, both on and off the bike. So so it's a tricky one for the riders as well. You can understand why they would sign up for a big team and and then perhaps become dissatisfied with the opportunities that they get further down the line and, and, and think the grass is greener and then realise that perhaps it's not.
0: You mentioned football, Lionel, and um, for years it's been a big topic of conversation that the big football teams, particularly English teams, have signed up. Well, they have enormous, sprawling academies and Um, They invest in those on the basis that even if only one um, player out of thousands makes it, then it's still a good business decision because they can sell that player for millions. Um, but of course, the churn is huge, and there are a lot of um, sort of sad stories along the way of of um, young footballers who've invested everything in all their hopes and dreams in becoming a professional footballer, and they're left with nothing when you know they're just discarded. 18, 19, we're nowhere near that in professional cycling, and and thus far, you have to say that UAE have been handsomely rewarded. Um, they they took on Machin Fernandez from. He spent a couple of years at the current Quickstep as a sort of talent scout, and he made you know he struck up relationships with a lot of sort of parents of promising young riders. One of them being Pogacar, and, and he was the reason really that um, when he moved to UAE as a director sportif, that Pogacar moved with him or turned pro with that team and. They've taken gambles on a few guys. They took a gamble on McNulty. They took a gamble on Ayuso. They signed him up to this massive contract, which is, as I said, it goes to the end of 2025. But, the, you know, just a very small example of when it doesn't work. Um, they've got a Colombian, Camilo Ardila, who was one of these three Colum- young Colombians that dominated the baby Giro a couple of years ago. And they gave him a very long-term contract as well up until the end of 2023. But he has not really pulled up any trees so far, um, I think he's, this is his second year as a, as a pro. So it will work in some cases and, and not in others.
1: I said at the start that uh, Peter Sagan is leaving Bora Hansgrohe after five years. He uh, announced that on social media. The rumour is he's going to Total Energies, which uh, is, uh, I don't know, quite a surprising move. I would have thought there'd be some other takers for him, but... Um, perhaps there will be but we we shall see where he ends up but that does raise the possibility of Sam Bennett going back to Bora Hansgrohe from De Kernig Quickstep and the story over the weekend uh, not a particularly savoury one and one that has uh, created a lot of reaction particularly on social media Patrick Lefebvre's comments in his column in Het Newsblad a regular column I believe it's weekly uh, ghost written by journalists um, based on the conversations that they have but you know Lefebvre. Uh, it puts his name to the column, there, his words and a really inappropriate analogy made um, talking about the possibility of Bennett going back to Bora Hansgrohe and comparing it to the victim of domestic abuse returning to their abuser I mean not an analogy that really has any place in a sporting conversation or, or really any conversation um, we can be unequivocal about that um, But as far as I can tell, no rule has been broken. The UCI doesn't really have a a sort of bringing the sport into disrepute rule that that, that it could um, fall back on. I think the the comments about Bennett himself um, are probably more troubling because in the UCI's regulations adopted by the uh, management committee in June this year... There are all sorts of rules of conduct relating to psychological abuse, physical abuse, sexual harassment, and sexual abuse, um, and it, it may well be that some of these rules uh, need to be looked at. Whether they can be um, enforced based on uh, words in a newspaper column, I'm not sure. But if um, you know, it would it would require Sam Bennett to make a, a formal complaint, I guess, if he felt that. Uh, He was being confined, isolated, subjected to humiliation, intimidation, infantilisation or any other treatment which has the effect of diminishing the sense of identity, dignity and self-worth. But Sam Bennett has kept very quiet and I think that's to his great credit that he hasn't been drawn into uh, a a public saga um, with his boss, his employer, Patrick Lefevre.
0: Yeah, I'd um, rather not talk too much about Patrick Lefevre and talk more about Sam Bennett, but I would say that um, Lefevre is he's an authority on managing a prolific bike team and a cycling team, Not well, certainly not on domestic violence and why a woman would return to an abusive partner. Um, but I, and, and another thing that I think perhaps people have overlooked is that in this very crass, uh, clumsy, completely inappropriate analogy that he used, well, I think I think it's more about M- Ralph Denk than it is about Sam Bennett. Uh, Patrick Lefevre is, is effectively comparing the Borahans Grower team boss to a, an abusive partner, and I think um, he's been Lefevre has been busting to do this for a few months because we talked about it at the time. Denk made this approach to Remco van and Xiao Almeida and a couple of the other Kernic Quick Step riders when it looked as though Lefevre was going to be um, struggling for a sponsor. And I believe, well, we, we said it at the time, this did not go down well at all with Lefebvre. So he's trying to settle a score with Denk as well. But um, on Bennett, I'd just echo you really. Um, he's laud- to be lauded for epitomising, I mean, it's a famous, famous catchphrase from uh, Michelle Obama. I think it's something she said to her daughters about how to respond to racism. They go low, we go high. And I think Bennett's done that by staying quiet Quiet, which personally I feel is particularly refreshing, noble against the backdrop of the sort of eye-for-an-eye eye instincts that we increasingly see on social media He certainly would have found a receptive sympathetic audience had he hit back um, but he decided not to by way state of true to what seemed to be his values um, finally, I would say just on sort of mental health, and Bennett's a good example, I think, of how a reckoning about this subject, which we're all talking about right, rightfully so, more and more, but in elite sport, it doesn't necessarily have to take the form of a sports star like Naomi Osaka or Ben Stokes uh, over the weekend or Simone Biles stepping out of the arena in the name of self-care. I mean, that's that's to be applauded, but... It can also just mean a sort of long-term, humdrum, private struggle with a particular challenge, which in Bennett's case always seems to have been that his ability has exceeded his confidence. Um, I think earlier, well, earlier this year he told me about signing his contract with Quick Step last year and he walked into a room, it was decked out with trophies and paraphernalia from other great sprinters that are ridden for the team and he felt that it was impossible to live up to that and when he won the green jersey last year, it was, I think it was particularly sweet and praiseworthy because it showed he had been more than equal to, to all of that heritage. But it didn't necessarily mean his issues with self-confidence were over. Um, and in fact, I think we've, we have maybe seen them flicker a little bit this year, not helped by Lefebvre and what Lefebvre said. But I think if you're Patrick Lefebvre, you can, you can say you can qualify that as mental weakness if you like. But you know, to, to my way of thinking, what Sam Bennett shows is that sort dignified, quiet, quiet resolve of, of someone who wasn't born with the silver spoon of enormous self-confidence, uh, which is one of the biggest handicaps you can have in sport. But he still managed to sort of scrap and persevere and, and he's achieved great things. And, um, you know, if we want to talk about mental health and I think Sam Bennett is already a winner.
1: I I think, uh, you know, I'm conflicted here with, with Lefebvre. I mean, you know, lots of people are quite rightly and with justification will say that his views have absolutely no place in the public domain, really. If that's what he thinks, then really should keep it to himself. Um, you know, it's 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 not appropriate. And others will say, as you said, he's put together a successful team with lots of different personnel over the years. And he he certainly you mentioned the word churn. You know, he 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 does have um, lots of riders who've stayed with him for a, a long period of time, and for whom his methods clearly work. And other riders come and go. Um, but I do think that you know that the successful management is not just about winning, is it? It's about um, tailoring your approach. Um, depending on people's personalities uh, what makes them tick and um, you know what gets them um, to perform to their best and certainly criticizing somebody publicly. Um, suggesting that, um, as he did before the Tour de France, that, that his knee injury was perhaps a figment of Bennett's imagination. I mean, these these are the sorts of comments that, that really, um, I, I don't think, have a place in the public domain because I don't think they're productive. I think they're counterproductive at the end of the day, aren't they?
0: There's also a bit of cynicism about the way I, I feel that he he's felt it's been open season on Sam Bennett because, and or it, this sort of coincides with him realizing that in Mark Cavendish actually he did have someone who could could step in do a good job, win stages of the Tour. And he's also got Fabio Jakobsen, who, you know, his return to to form and um, you know, to return to being competitive again after his terrible accident in Tour of Poland last year. That also, ha- happily enough, uh, luckily for Lefebvre, has coincided with with him making Bennett unavailable or Bennett making himself unavailable. So they haven't really missed Sam Bennett um as far as sprinters are concerned you know given the the the, period, the time um of the season you know there are still obviously some big races to come but they they can kind of do without him and that almost makes it even more cynical um but you know he's he's deprived himself of half a season from potentially the the best sprinter in the world but he's decided that um, you know, he could do without him.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, if if it's worked out for Lefebvre, it will embolden him. I suppose the only um, the only way this could um, really impact on Lefebvre is if one of the team's sponsors decides that this is beyond the pale and not the sort of language that they want to be associated with and whether uh, companies like De Kerninck and Quickstep and Lidl and Specialised would look at this, see the fallout from the comments in uh, the newspaper and say, to Lefever that this is not on, but in terms of, you know, I've seen lots of people saying you know Lefever should lose his job. Well, I mean he's a co-owner of the team, he's a director of the company that owns the team. It's not quite as simple as that. Uh, you know he would have to, you know it would be it would be difficult to remove him against his will. I suspect, but I suppose I go back to the UCI regulations. You know there there isn't really something uh, in the the UCI's um, rules governing what people say in public and perhaps there needs to be. Um, you know, that might be something the UCI looks looks at in future, uh, uh, some kind of bringing the sport into disrepute rule where, um, you know, a, a panel... Um, looks at comments made, and takes appropriate action. But, I mean, that's a whole other minefield and and difficult to introduce and enforce, I guess.
0: And I think for for better or worse, Lionel, uh, in some sports at certain times this has worked well. Other times it's been um, detrimental and worked, worked against transparency, but these things have been arranged, sorted Discussed in house between governing bodies, team managers, athletes, protagonists, and um, they've been sorted that way. And uh, you know, I wonder if some of that has happened, will happen. I mean, if Patrick Lefebvre is, is, carries on writing this column and is still, you know, st- staying true to this agent prov- provocateur personality. <laughs> um persona that he seems to be very fond of he seems to relish then it, it obviously means that whatever anyone has said to him whether it be you know uci or a sponsor has not really had an impact
1: well i feel like we have dedicated enough um resources time energy to um, some some pretty unsavory comments let's uh, end on a slightly more positive note i when we were talking about the mountain biking I said we would talk about the Olympic mountain biking through the prism of road cycling struggling to find a connection between BMXing and road cycling but I do remember the great late Eurosport commentator David Duffield the first time I met him uh, was at an an edition of the Road World Championships I'm not sure which year it was might have been 1999 or 2000 in which he took credit for the british bmx boom because he was working as a marketing man at rally at the time and uh, was instrumental in you know the creation and marketing of the rally burner so there we go wow david duffield pretty much uh, introduced bmxing to the uk may have overstated that slightly but there we go um daniel next week we'll be looking forward to the vuelta a Espana, won't we you'll be um en route to burgos i expect or at least...
0: On a bus, I think. I was looking at the journey details earlier today and I think I'll be catching a bus from um, from Madrid to Burgos. How the mighty have fallen, a, eh?
1: Not a, a bus from Berlin to Burgos. I mean, that sounds oh, like oh. Uh, the making of some kind of uh, coming-of-age film. <laughs> bus journey from Berlin to Burgos.
0: Hopefully I will come of age at the Wilder.
1: <laughs> oh, we've come right back round to the beginning. How many candles are on the cake, the non-existent cake? Oh, okay. oh.
0: Anyway, next week... <laughs> Will the Buffalo be back?
1: The Buffalo will be back next week, I think. Um, We'll be joined by Richard next week. So until then, thank you very much, Daniel.
0: Thank you. To become a friend of the podcast or to sign up for our weekly newsletter, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. Our theme music is by Glass Pear, and this episode was produced by Hugh Owen.